Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast, helping you invest in property for freedom, choice, and profit. You'll learn new, innovative, and multiple streams of property income, whether you want to start, scale, or systemize, and even if you don't have deposits. Hi, I'm Peter Jones, Chartered Surveyor, Author, and Property Investor, and this is the Progressive Property Podcast. And I thought for this episode, we're going to do something a little bit different. Because I don't know if you saw, but on Facebook a few weeks ago, I ran a series of videos and posts all about SPVs and limited companies and raising finance for limited companies. And I had quite a few of you get in touch with me saying, thanks for the information. It was great information. But would it be possible to collate it all in one place rather than having it as a series of posts across Facebook, for example, as reference material, which you can come back to and refer to whenever you need to and just have it all in one place so you can hear the whole thing in one hit, as it were. And I thought, what a great idea. What we'll do is we'll put this onto the podcast so it's always there forever. And then you can always listen to it whenever you need to. So in this episode, we're going to think about SPVs, limited companies and limited company finance. And then in the next episode, we're going to think about tax. We won't think about that now because who wants to think about tax? So let's just crack on and think about SPVs. Now, the reason why I put all this information together in the first place was because I was seeing questions on the Facebook group, which implied to me that those who were asking the questions didn't really understand what an SPV is. By the way, no criticism in that. Why should you? It's a very complicated subject. And all of these different acronyms, we know at Progressive, it takes a bit of time to get used to them and work out what they all mean. So what does SPV actually mean? Well, SPV stands for Special Purpose Vehicle. But the flavour of the questions that I was seeing almost implied that those who were asking the questions think that an SPV might be a type of business entity. Now, when we structure a business, whether it's in property or any other type of business, there are various entities which we can choose to use. So, for example, we can choose to use a limited company. And in property, there's good reasons for choosing a limited company. We'll think about that a little bit later. Or it could be using a limited liability partnership, an LLP. Or it could be just using a partnership. That's a partnership which isn't an LLP. In other words, it hasn't got the limited liability aspect to it. All the partners are very liable. Or it could be as a sole trader, or it could even be setting up a trust fund. There's lots of different ways that we can structure our business. Now, the implication of the questions that I was seeing on Facebook suggested that those asking the question thought that SPV was yet another type of entity. So it'd be limited company, limited liability partnership, partnership, sole trader, trust fund, SPV. But of course, it doesn't work like that at all. What an SPV is, is an entity that you set up for a particular purpose. I guess the clue's in the name, isn't it? Special purpose vehicle. You're setting it up for a purpose. And that purpose means that you can use any entity that you like. So your SPV could be a limited company, or your SPV could be a limited liability partnership, or your SPV could be a basic partnership, if that's the right way to describe it, or it could be you're setting yourself up as a as a sole trader as an SPV, I guess that could work. Any accountants out there? Any reason why that couldn't work? Probably not many reasons why you'd want to do it, but technically it's probably possible. So the SPV is not a type of an entity, but it is 
an entity that you choose for a particular purpose. Now, the reason why we've become very excited about special purpose vehicles particularly is because of all the tax changes. And just as a quick recap, back in 2015, I can't remember whether it was June or July, but it was just after the 2015 election, which was in May 2015, George Osborne, the then Chancellor, decided that in order to probably discourage buy-to-let investors, he was going to withdraw our ability to offset mortgage interest against the rent when we're calculating our income tax. Now, of course, that obviously applies income tax, the clues in there, if our properties are held in our own name. But at the time of recording this podcast, as things stand, that does not apply to limited companies. So if we buy our properties into a limited company, we still have the ability to offset mortgage interest against the rent while we're calculating our corporation tax. Now, there's pros and cons to all of this. I'm not going to go into this now. As I say, we're going to think about tax in the next podcast. But as things stand, that means that probably for 95% of us, it makes sense for us to buy our properties into a limited company. And that could change. The budget could come along. Philip Hannon, the current chancellor, could decide he wants to do things differently. Or there could be a change of government. That's very possible with the way things are going and all the internal wranglings about Brexit. The government could collapse. We could have a new chancellor. And that chancellor may not be quite so sympathetic to business and may decide that they're going to close the ability of investors to offset mortgage interest in a limited company. I don't know. I'm just speculating. But at the moment, that's the way that things stand. So the preferred route for a lot of investors at the moment is to buy their properties into a limited company. And in that sense, the limited company is an SPV. It's a special purpose vehicle. What's the special purpose? The special purpose is to buy property. But there are other circumstances when you may set up a different type of special purpose vehicle. So, for example, one which many of us probably consider without even thinking about it as being a special purpose vehicle could be if we were setting up some kind of a partnership arrangement, perhaps with a JV partner. So let's assume that we found a JV partner. Let's assume that maybe the JV partner is going to put all of the money in and we're going to put in all of the time and the effort. And it may be that we feel that the equitable split is going to be 50-50. So we come up with some kind of 50-50 arrangement. And one way in which we could structure our business to reflect this could be by setting up a limited company and then splitting the shares 50-50, for example. So in this instance, that limited company will effectively be an SPV, a special purpose vehicle. And what's the purpose of this special purpose vehicle? Well, quite simply, it's to establish our JV with our JV partner. So that's what an SPV is. It's not a particular type of entity, but rather it's just an entity that's used for a specific purpose, which is going to help us to achieve our goals and for our purposes, our goals in property. So let's think about when we might use an SPV. So as a quick recap, the business entities which we can choose from are a limited company, partnership, LLP, any other type of entity. And as such, there are probably hundreds of reasons why we might want to use a particular one for property investing. But to give you an example, it might be that when you're forming your JV with your JV partner, it may be that the best route forward is some kind of a partnership, in which case you may consider an LLP or a straightforward vanilla partnership. 
It'll depend on the terms of the agreements, but it's also going to depend upon your tax situation and what you're actually trying to achieve. It's going to very much depend upon what the activity of the SPV is actually going to be. So when you know what your SPV is going to be doing, and when you know who's going to be a party to that SPV, in other words, who are going to be the JV partners, for example, who's going to own the entity, is it going to be you on your own, is it going to be you with somebody else, that's when you need to sit down with your accountant and just to make sure that you're going the right way with this, because it can be very, very complicated. Because one of the reasons why we're so excited about SPVs and actually, it's not about the SPV that's exciting. It's a limited company, but we're using a limited company as SPVs. Is because a lot of us are thinking about tax and mitigating our tax. And probably for 95% of us, using a limited company to make sure that we mitigate our tax because the company can still offset mortgage interest against rent when calculating corporation tax... That might make sense, but it's not going to make sense for everybody. That's why I say maybe for 95% of us. But you won't know for sure until you talk to your accountant or your solicitor or both and make sure that what you're trying to achieve with the people that you want to achieve it with in the way that you're trying to achieve it is actually suitable for that particular vehicle. Because if we're focused purely on tax, there may be other reasons, actually, which mean it's better to use a different type of an entity even if the tax isn't quite so favourable, if that makes sense. Let me just say that. There may be other good reasons for using a different type of entity, even if that means that the tax treatment of that entity isn't quite so favourable. So you need to sit down and discuss this with your professional advisors. Now, one reason why we may be thinking a lot about SPVs at the moment is because the banks talk about SPVs. If you want to buy property into a limited company... The bank will make you, or that sounds a bit harsh, the bank will usually require you, is perhaps a better way of putting If you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it, then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process. We are going to teach you all of the tools and all of the techniques that we've learned over the last five years through building our very own multiple six-figure Airbnb business, arming you with everything that you need to swoop in and save the day. Minimal startup costs, zero risk, and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started. ...to buy your properties into what they will call an SPV. And maybe that's where some of the confusion actually comes from. But again, for all the reasons I've said, and I know I'm labouring the point a little bit, but the SPV isn't a particular type of entity that the bank want you to invest in. The SPV is a vehicle which the bank want to see is a new, clean vehicle which is used purely for property investing. Now, because of the tax situation, from our point of view, we probably want this to be a limited company. But I dare say that if you went to the bank with a JV partner, for example, 
and said you were going to buy into an NLP, probably they're going to be okay with that as well. But from a tax point of view, that's probably not so good for you. Check with your advisor, by the way, because I'm not a tax expert. And I'm talking from a position of complete ignorance. But most of the time, when a bank are talking about an SPV, they're talking about a limited company. Why? Because we probably want to set up a limited company. Now, why do the bank want us to set up an SPV? Well, quite simply, because the bank don't like baggage. Ultimately, at the end of the day, all a bank is ever interested in is A, are you going to pay the interest on the loan? And B, if you don't pay the interest on the loan, how easy is it going to be for them to repossess and get the asset back and sell it so they can get their money back? If you go to the bank with an existing entity, and for our purposes, let's just say that that is a limited company, but if you go to the bank with an existing entity and say to the bank, I would like to buy properties into this existing entity, they're going to look at that entity. Now, if it's something like, let's just say I meet a lot of people who are IT consultants, and for various reasons, they've set up a limited company in which to run their IT consultancy through. And maybe that company is showing good profits. Maybe there's cash in the company bank account. And maybe, in all respects, you'd think the bank would actually love that. But if you go to the bank and say, look, I've got this IT company, it's got cash in the bank, it's got good profit, it's got good cash flow, and now I want to buy properties with it, will you lend me some buy-to-let mortgages? The bank are going to say, no, 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 we do not want that. Because what the bank want to see is they want to see your entity as not having, as I say, baggage. Because what are they concerned about? Well, they don't want their money tangled in with your other business. So if you're an IT consultant and you have clients and maybe those clients owe you money or maybe you have subcontractors and maybe you owe the subcontractors money and it's all just a bit messy. What they want is a clean entity which you can pop the properties into and which they can see as a clean entity. It hasn't got any other liabilities. It hasn't got anything which is going to come out of the woodwork. There's no skeletons in the cupboard. It's clean, it's nice, it's tidy, and they know what they're dealing with. So big, big concern, which I see all the time, and I see this at Masterclass when we're talking about this, that I can see that because this is new to a lot of people, new often means frightening or new often sounds hard. And so the big concern is, well, if I have an SPV, which is a limited company, and it's purely for the purposes of buying property, will the bank actually lend me any money? Because after all, if I'm setting up a brand new company, that brand new company won't have any cash flow, it won't have any assets. So what happens then? Well, the simple answer is that the bank are going to look at you. They're going to look at your credit rating. They're going to see whether you own your own residence. If they have a minimum income requirement, they're going to see if you are achieving the minimum income that they require. This is what they're going to be looking at. They're not going to be looking at the entity. They fully understand that you're probably going to go onto the internet and you're going to buy an off-the-shelf property for 15 quid. Or, if you're a bit lazy like me, you're going to email your accountant and ask your accountant to set up the limited company for you, and that costs me 150 quid. They know you're going to do that. It's not a big deal. But I see many, many people are very concerned about this and somewhat confused by it because it sounds logical, doesn't it? If the SPV limited company isn't actually trading or hasn't traded at the moment, how can it actually borrow money? Because it's nothing. It's, it's just a piece of paper with a name on it. 
totally understand, but the banks know that. They'll be looking at you. And as long as you pass the checks, they will then lend the money to the company. Now, obviously, in turn, you're going to have to provide a director's guarantee. I can't think of any bank at the moment which wouldn't require a director's guarantee. There may be one or two out there. And it's at that point I sometimes see would-be investors go ashen-faced. And they'll say something like, ah, I knew there's a catch. That's why I don't want to get involved in this. That's why I don't want to buy into a limited company, because I don't want to have to give a director's guarantee. Because if anything goes wrong, then I'm personally going to be liable. And I kind of look at them and I sort of raise an eyebrow and I think, have they even just thought about what they're saying? Because the reality is this. If you bought a property in your own name, which is the alternative, if you're not buying in a limited company, you're probably going to be buying in your own name. And even if you're buying in a partnership, you're just buying in your name and the partner's name. So it's the same thing. So you've only got that alternative. You either buy it through a limited company or you buy it in your own name. But if you buy it in your own name, are you not guaranteeing to pay back the loan? I think you are. And if you don't pay back the loan, then the same kind of stuff is going to happen. You get repossessed eventually if you don't pay it back. Now, it's no different, I don't think. that Technically, it's slightly different, but the overall effect is pretty much the same if you give a guarantee to your limited company. What difference is it going to make? You're going to guarantee it one way or the other, whether it's in a limited company or whether it's in your own name. So to me, that's a non-argument. So I would just go out and get your papers signed. Now, there's some practical issues around that. For a personal guarantee, the bank will require that you take your own independent advice. They will require you to sit down with another solicitor, as in not your solicitor and not the bank's solicitor, and you've got to sign off the form. And that can actually cost a lot of money. I was signing personal guarantees a little while back for a couple of HMOs, which I was refinancing. And the firm of lawyers who were witnessing the signatures, which is effectively what they did. Now, they, I mean, in fairness, they meant to give me advice, but the advice was basically, you've signed a load of these before, haven't you? Yes. So you know what you're doing. Yeah. Well, that's okay. Yeah. This is where you sign. They charged me 700 quid, but it's a cost of doing business, isn't it? Because if I didn't pay that 700 quid, I wouldn't be able to refinance my HMOs. Now, hopefully on a buy-to-let loan, it's going to be cheaper than that, but you're probably looking at a few hundred quid. Be prepared. It's just the cost of doing business. It has to be done if you're going to be taking out the loans. Now, a question which I'm often asked is, should I set up a new SPV? In other words, bring it back to what we really mean. Should I set up a new limited company every time I buy a new property? Well, the answer is always, it depends. It depends on what you're trying to do. So, for example, if you were buying different properties with different JV partners, then probably, and again, you know, without knowing your circumstances and without knowing your JV partner's circumstances, I can only talk in very general terms. You need to think about what it means to you and take your own advice. But in very general terms, if that's the situation where you're buying some properties with one JV partner and other properties with another JV partner, of course, it would make sense to have that in separate entities. It's a lot cleaner. Everybody knows what they're getting. But if you're buying properties purely for yourself, do you need to set up a new SPV every time you buy a new property? Well, no, you don't. You can buy all of your properties into the existing SPV. So then the question will be, but what if I go to a different bank? Because each bank is going to have a limit on how many properties I can buy and which they'll lend on. And that's absolutely true. So 
Most banks will limit the amount that they'll lend an individual investor, either in terms of the number of properties, like it might be three or four properties, or it might be by a money amount. It might be £1 million or £2 million, but whichever way, they're going to limit the amount. So at some point, if you go and borrow money off a bank and you keep buying, you'll probably run out of credit with that particular bank. You'll have to move on to another bank. So should you or would you have to set up a new SPV every time you change bank? Well, the answer is usually no. Most banks are quite happy knowing that you've been borrowing from another bank. Now, I don't want to get into the politics of all this because it can be a little bit complicated, but one of the reasons why you want a good mortgage broker is because, believe it or not, and it sounds a bit like you know, <laughs> scrapping in the playground, but not every bank likes the other banks. So it may be, for example, you might be thinking to yourself, well, I'm going to borrow from bank A, and then when I run out with credit with them, I'm going to borrow from bank B, and then when I run out of credit with them, I'm going to borrow from bank C. Now, that sounds like a good plan, but it might turn out that actually bank B don't like bank A. And if you try and borrow from bank B once you've run out of credit with bank A, you may find that bank B will turn you down. So the answer might be to actually borrow from bank B first and then go and borrow from bank A because it turns out that bank A have actually got no issue with bank B. Weird or what? But this is how it works in real life. How will you know this stuff? Well, you won't. And this is why you need a good mortgage broker. So again, looking at the Facebook group, I sometimes roll my eyes because I see people asking questions on the Facebook group, which implies that they're trying to arrange their own finance. This is my view, and you may disagree, and if you disagree, that's absolutely fine. But my view is never, never, never try and arrange your own finance. Go to a good broker. I mean, at the moment, there's something like 1,400 different buy-to-let products available on the market. 1,400. And they're changing all the time. Every single one of those products is going to have different terms and criteria. The individual banks are changing their terms and criteria on a regular basis. And then when we get into the whole thing about limited company mortgages, which we'll talk about in a moment, there's probably about 300 different limited company buy-to-let mortgages which are available from maybe, I don't know, a dozen different lenders. You, as a layperson, cannot possibly keep track on all of that. You can't just go on to Compare the Market or, you know, moneysupermarket.com or whatever and start choosing buy-to-let products. You've got to have it done properly. And this is exactly what the broker will do because the broker will know that Bank A don't mind Bank B, but the Bank B don't like Bank A. And so they'll make they'll help you to get everything sorted so you can have a strategic plan behind your borrowing. So let's just think about some of the stuff which they'll be the banks will be thinking about when you're trying to raise finance for your limited company. Well, as I say, the main thing they're going to be thinking about is you. So what will you need to show them? Well, as a new limited company, obviously they can't look back over the three years of accounts because your company hasn't got them. So they're going to be asking you for your SA302s or whatever the equivalent are now. I think they've, they've changed slightly, haven't they? They've got a different name now. But what we used to call the SA302s, which is the breakdown of your income and how your tax has been calculated. Or they'll be looking at your personal tax account, PTA. They'll want your personal bank statements. They'll want proof of income and they'll want proof that you're in your own home. Usually. Now, not every bank actually has a minimum income requirement. Not every bank requires you to own your own home, but we're only talking about maybe there's a couple of lenders out there and it changes all the time. 
Again, if you're in that situation, you need to talk to your broker. But it may be that the best advice is go and buy a property as a residence first because it's going to make life a lot easier. And you're going to get a really good mortgage on it, maybe a 90%, maybe even a 95% mortgage on it. Anyway, discussion for another time. If the banks do require a minimum income, then it's probably going to be around about £25,000. But if you don't earn £25,000, then don't give up hope because there's ways around that as well. If you have a JV partner who, with their income, combined with your income, takes it over the £25,000 threshold, then you can put in a joint application. So that might be with a significant other, a spouse, your lover, or it could be with a business partner or a relative or a friend or whoever. But you don't necessarily have to do this on your own. The same applies, actually, if um, you, you're struggling to raise a deposit. Quite often, people overlook the fact that it is quite possible to raise finance, particularly buy-to-let finance, on a joint application. Now, many banks will allow at least two people in a joint application. Some of them will allow up to four in a joint application. So it doesn't always have to fall on you. Now, one of the questions which I see coming up time and time again, either explicitly or implicitly, is, is it hard for a limited company to raise finance? Well, the answer is no, not really. Now, it's true that at the moment there's more buy-to-let products for individuals, but I think that that's changing. As I said a few minutes ago, at the moment there's probably about 300 products available at the time of recording this, which are specifically for limited companies. But if we went back just a couple of years, there would probably have been less than 50. So things are changing. Now, one thing which actually we're all watching in the business, but we haven't actually come to a conclusion on where we're going with this, is the Mortgage Works, who are one of the biggest buy-to-let lenders in the UK. Probably Birmingham, Midshires are bigger, but the Mortgage Works are probably their biggest rival. Back in November 2017, decided to trial lending to limited companies. Now, it's a limited product in, in the sense that it's only going out through certain brokers and they're just seeing how it feels and just seeing whether they want to come into the limited company market. Now, the thing which I find surprising about that is that in the old days, and by the old days, I'm talking about up until about five years ago, the mortgage works used to lend to limited companies anyway. So this is hardly anything new for them. So I'm surprised they're sort of making such a meal of it. But the chances are, one would have thought, the way the market is going, the way that probably now 80% of all buy-to-let applications are into a limited company, that the writing's on the wall, really. The banks presumably are going to respond to this and they're going to increase the number of products which are available for limited companies. Now, if the mortgage works do come out with a limited company buy-to-let mortgage, you can be pretty sure that within time, Birmingham Midshires and the other big ones are going to come into the market as well. But you might be saying, OK, well, that's all right, all well and good, Peter, but that doesn't help me now. What am I going to do now? Well, the great news is, as I say, there's probably about a dozen or so lenders who are very active lending to limited companies. Now, I've always bought my properties into a limited company and I've never, ever had any problems borrowing the money from my limited company, just getting conventional buy-to-let finance. It's never been a problem. I've often used Paragon, who've been very good, but there's others out there. Uh, Shawbrook, Oldermore are very active at the moment. Precise Mortgages. Now, they're quite an exciting company. I like them. 
Fleet Mortgages, Kent Reliance, of course, they're all lending to limited companies. And if you go and Google limited company buy-to-let finance, you'll see that there's many others as well, including lenders whose names I don't even know. Now, one question which I'm always asked about limited company buy-to-let mortgages is, aren't they expensive? Well, the answer to that is they probably are a little bit more expensive than maybe, you know, if you're buying in your own name and you're getting a mortgage as an individual. But we're not talking about, you know, 10% extra. We're talking about maybe, you know, half a percent difference or three quarters of a percent difference or a percent at the most. It's not a massive amount of money. But of course, it's not just about the interest that you're going to be paying. Don't forget that the whole point, the whole point of buying into the limited company is to mitigate your tax, to reduce your tax because you'll be able to offset the mortgage interest against the rent when you're calculating corporation tax. Now, I'm going to talk about tax in a future podcast, so I don't want to get into the nitty gritty of it now. But remember, it's not just about the headline interest rate. So you should be looking at all the terms of the mortgage anyway and seeing what the fees are and what you're going to get. Some lenders, for example, are doing fee-free, that's quite difficult to say, fee-free mortgages where you literally don't have any fees that even pay the valuation for you. So it may be that you end up paying an extra half a percent on, on the interest, but just look to see what the fees are. Maybe you're saving a lot of that back in the fees. But ultimately, are you saving it back when you calculate your tax because you're buying into the limited company? That's the bigger picture. And I think as investors, we can so often get bogged down in the minutiae, can't we? in the small detail, which doesn't make any difference. An example of that is when sometimes I'm asked, well, Peter, look, I've got, I've got this amazing mortgage on my own home. I've got a massive amount of equity in my own home, but I've got this amazing mortgage at the moment where I'm only paying, you know, like one and a quarter percent of my mortgage. And if I refinanced, I could probably get, you know, £300,000 out, but my mortgage would go from one and a quarter percent to one and three quarters percent. And so I'm not going to touch it for three years. Do you think I'm doing the right thing? Well, my answer to that is, first of all, I'm not an IFA or an accountant, so I can't give you financial advice. But in my head, I'll be thinking, no, no, no. It's not about whether you go from one and a quarter percent to one and three quarter percent. What's going to happen is you're going to get £300,000 of equity out of the property, which you can then use as deposits to go and buy another dozen properties. And in five years' time, you're going to have a portfolio of 50 properties because you just keep gearing up. Surely that's got to be the thing. It's the bigger picture. And if you had 50 properties in five years' time, what would your cash flow be? It's going to be substantially more than the amount that you're saving by keeping your mortgage at one and a quarter percent instead of one and three quarter percent. So I actually get quite passionate about this stuff and say, guys, come on, stop thinking about the detail. Get into the big picture stuff. Have the big vision and start heading towards your big vision, because that's what's really going to help you. So what's the lessons from all this? Well, the lessons from all of this are that probably we need to be buying into a limited company, which we probably already know. The second lesson is, it's probably not as hard as you might be thinking. Setting up a limited company is very straightforward. And getting finance for the limited company is usually pretty straightforward. And it's likely to get easier as we go on and on and on. And this becomes much more of a mainstream way of buying property. So it's all looking good. So that's it. There we are. A few thoughts on SPVs, limited companies and limited company finance. I hope you found that useful and helpful. 
why don't you go onto the Progressive Facebook group and tag me in. Let me know how you've got on with either setting up your company or how you've got on with finding finance for your company. We can have a bit of an interesting discussion around that. Also, by the way, if you come across a really good mortgage broker, then share details of that as well. I'm hoping to get my mortgage broker onto the podcast. We'll see how we get on with that. But otherwise, I'm quite happy to share details of my mortgage broker. But if you want to know who my mortgage broker is, you'll have to drop me a line. By the way, it reminds me, if you want to know a bit more about me, obviously I'm Peter, Peter Jones. But if you want to know who I am and what I am and how I got to be here and why I'm the Progressive Property uh, Podcast host, which is a great question, why am I? Then please come over to my website, www.thepropertyteacher.co.uk. Be great to see you there. There's some great resources there. Some you have to pay for, some are free, but loads of good information on my blog as well, of course. And I will probably put up details of my mortgage broker there at some point. But in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with my mortgage broker, drop me an email. The Property Teacher, all one word, thepropertyteacher at gmail.com. Put in the subject line brokers details or mortgage brokers details or something just so I know, and I will put you in touch. I don't check my emails every day, by the way, but uh, I will get back to you in a, in a day or two if you email me. So I hope you found this uh, episode useful. It's a big subject. It's something we need to understand because going forward, buying into a limited company seems to be the way it's going. So we need to understand that and we need to understand all the tax implications of that as well. So until next time, here's to successful property investing. Successful property investing.